Welcome in, everybody. It is On the Clock, a production of Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Ben Kenny, yet again hanging out with you on this Friday morning. We thank you for listening, whether it's in podcast form, whether you're listening on the Odyssey app, on the Phillies 24-7 channel. We say thank you yet again. A disclaimer, inside show business here. I'm recording this Thursday night as I'm watching the end of Phillies Nationals. It's the top of the eighth inning. Junior Marte's on. Runners on second and third. Phil's lead six to two. I'm comfortable about the team winning, and this is going to be posted. So if they lose, you know exactly where to turn uh, for the blame. But there are two outs. I, I figure he'll get out of it. Uh, I'll update in the show when the game actually ends. But, I mean, what a week. What a week of Phillies baseball. It feels like there's something special brewing yet again at, at Citizens Bank Park. Last Friday... The Turner Standing Ovation heard around the world, around this town, and around the world. You got writers calling Philadelphia soft for not ripping the guy and actually give him cheers. Listen, that was a special moment. It's as simple as that. I'll have more extended thoughts on, on that. But you go into Saturday, Trey hits the three-run home run, and the Phillies actually get the win there. He's showing signs of life. Sunday, an absolute homer barrage. Post-game, Bryce Harper says he wishes he started his career here. Then Tuesday, the the Nationals come to town. Monday gets rained out, but Tuesday, split doubleheader. Turner, though, gets on a five-game hit streak. The power surge continues. Kyle Schwarber goes deep twice. Alec Bohm goes deep. Harper goes deep. Again, these signs are, are starting to come out. And I know the Royals and the Nationals, they stink. They're not good teams. Actually, if you look at it, since the All-Star break... They had been two of the hottest teams, two of the more winning ones, yet they're, the, the pitching, especially when those teams come to town, the Phillies should be able to feast on them. And they did. You go into Wednesday, a, a special night at the ballpark. I'm mad at myself. Wednesday night, my first night off in a while, and I considered getting tickets. I didn't. I watched the game at, at a bar with a buddy. That's one of those Phillies games that we'll look back on 15 years from now. And say, where were you on that Wednesday night in August when Wes Wilson, in his first career at bat going deep, wasn't even the story of the game? Castellanos hitting his 200th homer going deep twice wasn't the story of the game. No, Michael Lorenzen in his second start as a Philly, first home start, dials up a no-hitter, 124 pitches. Beautifully, his family, Wes Wilson's family in the stands. I loved how NBC Sports... Philadelphia kept showing them and got the instant reaction to those moments. It was a beautiful night. And it's a it's just a classic sense of it's baseball. You never know what you're going to get when you go down to the yard. Special moments like that can happen. And that I mean that was one of the more out of body special nights I've ever seen. So they come back uh, finally Thursday as Junior uh, Marte did just get out of the 8th inning. I am predicting, you heard it here first as first reported on on the clock on Phillies 24-7. Uh, the Phillies win 6-2, to two, we'll say. But the power surge continues. Another three-homer night. Turner goes deep again. Like, it, it was an unbelievable week. Against two bad teams, yes. But sometimes it's two bad teams that you need to be the launching pad for a special run. Now, we've seen this Phillies team. The, the pitching has kind of kept them in it. They definitely kept them in it through June. We haven't seen the offense totally click. And last postseason gave us a sense of, okay, when the Phillies are winning, 
what does it look like? When they're playing to their best, what does it look like? And you don't have Reese Hoskins on this team all season, which hurts because he brings that power stroke and big hits. But this team was all offensive metrics, top 12, top 15 in baseball. They deeply struggled with runners in scoring position. I think down at, I what was the number I gave? 26 in baseball with runners in scoring position, OPS-wise. They were not hitting the ball out of the ballpark at the clip that they needed to. Kyle Schwarber was the only guy with 20 homers forever. Now Castellanos is there. Now we're seeing Alec Bohm suddenly hit a big power surge. Trey Turner starting to go deep. It's like all of a sudden the floodgates seem to have opened on this team and the offense. And that's my big takeaway from the week. I wrote it down as all capitals or capitalizing the first letter of the sentence, meaning to to add punctuality to what I'm about to say. The Phillies are back. Now, that can mean a lot of things. Like, they were back to winning in June, but those those aren't the Phillies that we grew to love and, and knew how they were supposed to win last postseason. No, like those Phillies, the postseason Phillies of last year, are back at Citizens Bank Park. A couple notes here. Since Alec Bohm went to the two spot, the Phillies are averaging six and a half runs per game, which is phenomenal, obviously. Just look at this homestand. They go five and two. They're starting to create separation in the wild card. They're they're up at number one. I believe the Giants had off on Thursday. They now are up on the Giants a game and a half. Like 12 games over 500, really starting to create separation on the competition. On this homestand, in the five wins, the team had three homer games each night. Five three-home run games. Those are the five wins. Offensive explosions. Meanwhile, in the two losses which the offense wasn't totally dead in, in them for the most part. It was other factors that led to the losses, which we'll get to, the bullpen and Aaron Nola. But the two losses were both one-homer games. Like, it's that simple for this team. A lot of the pitching stuff has been awesome, but you don't necessarily rely on it to, to drive the team. This, this is what I always come back to. The Phillies are a team, if you look at the payroll and how all the resources are divvied up around the roster. Yeah, you have some high-priced pitchers, and one of them, one of the lead starters, has not been up to what you need him to be this season. And they just shelled out a bunch of money for Taiwan Walker. Like, yeah, there's money everywhere. It's a high payroll. But it's a team built around offense. When you have Bryce Harper and Trey Turner on the contracts they're on, when you have Castellanos and Schwarber as well, uh, a catcher in JT that's supposed to produce, unlike most catchers in baseball, and then young kids that are all having career years and blossoming onto the scene. It's a team that's built around offense. And for months, the offense was okay, but it wasn't driving the team to wins. Finally, now, in mid-August, we're starting to see that happen. I figure a lot of listeners to this show are also some uh, Eagles fans, or at least they understand what's going on with the Eagles from listening to various content from this station. It's like if the Eagles went through their first six to seven weeks and were four and two or four and three, not really separating from the pack, but they're not out of it. Like maybe they're in a wild card spot, but they're winning those games or they're in the games because the defense is just dominating and the offense is okay. Now here, I know that would raise massive alarm bells because it's the same thing. The Eagles are a team built around offense. That's where a lot of the resources are. That's where Jalen Hurts, now the highest paid player on the team is. And it's as if they get to week eight 
and finally the offense explodes and Hurts starts to go off. And it takes that long to happen. But once you see that happen, then you look to the rest of the season and say, okay, the Eagles have arrived. We're here, I look at this, and the Braves are not going to get caught. The hope is the Phillies can host that first wildcard series, hopefully against Gabe Kapler and the Giants. But I look at what's gone on this week and what's gone on since Alec Bohm moved to the two-hole, and I, I think the Phillies are back. I think the Phillies, the, the team that can win a World Series, the team that can make a deep postseason run, is back. And that's unbelievable to say after all they've gone through this season. So, amazing week down at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, the week, again, wrapping up in front of me, Phil's going to the uh, top of the ninth, up 6-2. to two. I'm confident that uh, Kimbrell's not blowing this one, a, a four-run lead. So, yeah, a 5-2 week. Homestand continues against the Twins this weekend. It started off, and I want to share some thoughts on this. The week obviously started off with the Trey Turner standing ovation. Now, there's the whole jockeying for credit and, you know, who brought it up and who drove it. Whatever. Aside from all that. It's undeniable, first, that it worked, right? Like, since Friday, Trey Turner, seven-game hitting streak. And uh, at Ben Z. Kenny on Twitter, I put out, he is 10 for 26 since the ovation. He is a 384 average in that time. Two homers, eight ribbies, four runs. Topper's moving him up to leadoff for a day. He's moving him to the four hole. He's contributing, which if you've listened to the show from the start, I came on the first show during the All-Star break, a couple weeks before the deadline, and said, there, there's no one more important Philly to the second half turnaround and launch into hopefully the postseason than Trey Turner. Because there was no bigger difference from what was expected and what was actually being put out there. Not to mention, given where he plays at shortstop and where he was in the lineup, like his lack of production was killing the team forever. And now with him back, things look completely different. But it's undeniable that it worked. Not only do you hear Trey right afterwards, and listen, he had an RBI single on Friday. It's not as if he lit the world on fire immediately, but... Then the rest of the weekend, he goes off. He said Friday, that was that was pretty effing cool. And then it goes on. He, he buys the billboard. The biggest acknowledgement to me, and, and what shows the impact of what Friday had, was from the rest of the clubhouse and from Rob Thompson, where Topper has been saying, clearly since then it's worked. Michael Lorenzen, who just came in, he was asked on Marks and Reese on Thursday, obviously about the no-hitter, but about Turner, and Lorenzen arrives in Philadelphia, and immediately he sees that happen, and he sees Turner start to turn it around, and was speaking on the fans and the impact they have, but said, yeah, like he's like he's loosened up. He's starting to play baseball again. So the, the fact that that can happen, I think, is obviously really cool. And it's, it's the nature of baseball. That's why it's such a beautiful game. It's also so unique to this town, where most places there is over-the-top positivity at all times, Maybe sometimes to a fault. I think of a place like Milwaukee, for instance. But obviously we have this rap here of being negative and and over the top and we're all scumbags and we hate all our players, which is just not true. And for all those that were against the ovation and thought that it wasn't genuine or it was condescending, the evidence is out there, not, not only of the effect it had, but about how beautiful of a moment it was. I was there on Friday. And while I was, I, 
every time he came up to bat the rest of the game, I was like, okay, when is this going to end? Because he didn't get a hit until his third at bat. And then the next day, his first at bat, he's getting the ovation again. I was wondering when it was going to end, but like that was a chills-filled moment on Friday. It was beautiful. And things like that are kind of why we get into baseball for, for one and why we get into sports. Like, like why this stuff is the best reality show out there. It was unbelievable. And for the national writers, mainly Ken Rosenthal, saying that uh, this isn't the Philadelphia he remembered. Oh, my, my 700 level. My Philadelphia was, was hardcore and hated our players. Shut up. Like, get out of here. Yeah, are, are times different in general in the world? Sure. But if you as a fan base can have a positive impact on the game, which is not the case everywhere and not always the case, whether it's baseball or football, like you jump at that opportunity. So I, I, I thought it was amazing. I was all in for it. Now, the interesting thing is now people sarcastically bring up, oh, why doesn't, why doesn't Aaron Nola getting standing ovation? He stinks too. He's not performing up to the level we need. Why can't we give it to Schwarber? I see it in other places too. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy hitting third stinks. Let's give him an ovation to turn it around. It's like that's not, that's not how this works. That's not the dynamic that the Turner situation was, right? And there probably aren't other players that it would actually work for. Like Trey Turner was so clearly a head case after especially that Miami loss where the error cost them that it was a show of support that everybody believed, and rightfully so, would at least just help him loosen up. Whether he plays great or not, helps him loosen up, helps him understand that the fans are behind him. Like, Aaron Nola's out on the mound, and you give him a standing ovation, I don't think it does anything. He probably gives up a, a double the next step at. And this coming from maybe the biggest Aaron Nola defender out there. Like, that wouldn't work. Kyle Schwarber doesn't need it. He might still hit 180 with it. And you go to other cities, it's like that. It's not just a copy and paste situation. It was so unique. It was very genuine, uh, organic, obviously. Uh, and I'll say it. I, I mean, credit to the station for, for pushing it, for making it happen for the most part. So that was that was awesome. And, and since then, I mean, as the days go by, it just looks better and better as, as he continues to go deep, gives the Phils the lead on Thursday with another bomb. The, the pop-up mid-fly ball to center field power is turning into home run power which is very legitimate. That's the Trey Turner we saw in the World Baseball Classic, not the one that has been playing in Philly for the last couple months. All right, it is on the clock. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out. I'm Ben Kenny with you. We'll step away. When we come back, I'm going to outline. I, I, there's just a lot flying around from the week. There are a couple negative takes that I have, a couple notes that I want to throw out there, some positive, some neutral, some just a, a lot of things have happened since we last spoke last week. So I, I want to run through that. Some thoughts on the no-hitter as well. We'll get to that when we come back. It's on the clock. All right, welcome back in. It's on the clock. Sports Radio 94 WIP and Phillies 24-7. Ben Kenny with you. I can, uh, I, I'm happy to report that the Phillies beat the Nationals on Thursday. 6-2, to two, Craig Kimbrell closes the game out. JT with a two-run bomb, two walks and a single Maybe a sign of a hot streak there, which would be unbelievable for this team. But the Phillies now four games up on the final wild card spot. They are one and a half up on the Giants for the first spot, meaning that if the season ended today, the Giants would visit Philadelphia for the first series, which is, I, I mean, it's so important. 
they got kind of lucky last year with how not terrible, but how destructive the Cardinals were. They weren't that good of a team, and they were able to go on the road and win it. Having that series at home changes a lot. I feel I, I mean, San Francisco is always a place of horrors for me. I don't have many good memories of the Phils going out to San Francisco. So they got to get that series at home. They're now up a game and a half in that race. So awesome finish to the week. They take three out of four from the Nationals. I want to go back to Wednesday night. And no, I, I don't have any drawn out Wes Wilson takes aside from that was cool. And I mean, his drop fly ball on Thursday was unbelievable. A true oh shallow fly ball. Let me look away from the television only to hear Tom McCarthy say, oh, he, he dropped it. But awesome moment. I mean, whatever he could do when Marsh is out and before Pache comes back, that's a bonus. That's fine. Wednesday night, though, I mean, a a beautiful, beautiful moment with Michael Lorenzen. This might be the most cliche-filled show I do for this station, maybe ever, but speaking of the Turner ovation, where that's the beauty of baseball, there is nothing more quintessential baseball than a guy in his second start with a team throwing a no, his first home start, throwing a no-hitter on a Wednesday night in August with the stadium completely packed. And you could see how much it means to him. You obviously could see how much his teammates were behind it. Like that, The post-game speech the Topper gave was awesome. All his teammates are waiting for the interview to finish to congratulate him. It's just, there's no better way to capture that moment than to say, like, the, the vibes with this team are unbelievable. And... I, I couldn't help but come away from that night, Wednesday, and think, okay, yeah, Michael Lorenzen, a mercenary. He, he he just got traded here. He's made two starts. You have a lot of guys on this team that didn't come up. They weren't a Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, all the way through the farm system. It's a team of mercenaries and free agents, and then some homegrown guys sprinkled in. But I'm excited to, I mean, confidently be able to say that For the first time since the Rollins, Utley, Howard, Hamels, Carlos Ruiz, who always, he he never gets mentioned in that group. Everyone always talks about the stars. Maybe my favorite player on that team, aside from Howard, was Carlos Ruiz as a catcher growing up. But for the first time since that team, we have a Phillies team that I, I think the city is madly in love with. And they've given us ample reason to do so. Like even last year, before the playoffs, There was a lot of trepidation about the team in general because of all of the September collapses that we've seen in the Kapler era and then Girardi. And then once they make the playoffs, they just hit the ground running. And and it clearly fed into this year. And even with the slow start and frustrating baseball with, uh, you know, the defense and sometimes uh, lack of fundamentals and base running, like the city is 100% behind this team and madly in love with it which I makes me happy because when the Phillies are relevant, there's nothing better in this town. And I, I came away from that Wednesday no-hitter thinking, like, this team needs to win a World Series. We need to see this group, whether it's this team this year or next year or whatever, this core needs to win a World Series. They are, I, I mean, maybe the most likable team I've ever come across. It could be recency bias, but from top to bottom, with Rob Thompson, who I, I I wrote this in my open. I forgot to get to it. 
I think it applies here too. People are often angry after losses, especially even Friday night when they lose to the Royals and the Trey Turner ovation happens, but Aaron Nola gives up a bunch of runs and they lose the game. But people are mad at Topper for pitching decisions or whatever. Again, I think his tone and his demeanor paired with the personalities in the clubhouse, paired with the fan base, which shows out in droves for these games, it creates something special. And again, we we finally, again, have a baseball team to fall in love with in this town. That was awesome. Again, I, I was thinking about going to the game. I didn't. I'm an idiot. I'm going to regret it for a long time. I did enter. I, I was out at a bar with my buddy. And I will say, I did enter the seventh inning thinking, you know, the, the Phillies are skating on thin ice here. Having a guy go 125, 130 pitches after he already surpassed his career high in innings. like They, they bring in Lorenzen, and the one thing I'm frightened of like when he's on the mound, I, I'm in. He's effective. He fits in perfectly. He's going to help the team. I'm concerned that the innings will catch up with him. I am concerned that come playoff time, the arm might be a little dead and isn't as effective as it is. Now, I, I, I don't mean to poo-poo the moment, but though that's what I was thinking as that was going on. I, I noticed the no-hitter after the fifth inning and sat back and thought, like, the, the fills are skating on thin ice with him. Now, once you leave him out for the eighth, okay, you give him the ninth two. You're either going all or nothing. It's either you take him out after seven when he gets past 105 or you let him go the whole way. And I'm happy he went the whole way. I'm thrilled because we're not going to forget that game. Like, at the end of the day, it is a sport where the end goal is the goal, but the journey is what makes it so awesome. We're not going to forget that day. So I'm thrilled that he stayed, except we missed a golden opportunity to have Dylan Covey close out a no-hitter, or even put Wes Wilson out there, have him close out a no-hitter. We missed a golden opportunity for that. That could have been hilarious. A great barroom trivia question in 15 years. Who who closed out the Phillies' last no-hitter? It's freaking Dylan Covey. But I, I'm i just uh, I, I'm scared about Lorenzen's innings. Let me just say that now. And, and I would love to be proven wrong. But as we got to the end of that game, I was like, ugh. You can't let him go 135, 140 pitches. And thank goodness he got out of it. A lot of soft contact. Awesome, awesome moment. The other thing that the no-hitter made me think of immediately is that we as a fan base and as a city are finally free of that freaking Odubel Herrera highlight trying to catch a fly ball to close out Cole Hamill's no-hitter. Because it was Hamill's last start. And, and give me all the Cole Hamill's content. Like, I'm in. He retired recently. Amazing career. I need all those guys to get their numbers retired. The Rollins, Utley, Howard Hamels, Carlos Ruiz, honestly, whatever. But I hate Odubel Herrera. There is not, I don't think there's a Philly in my lifetime I despised watching and just rooting for more than Odubel Herrera. And that was in the beginning before it got really bad. But still, I am. I, I got so sick and tired of watching that highlight over and over again. First of all, reminding you of the angst that you were going through watching it happen. But second, just the most frustrating person to watch play baseball. And I think it's somewhat poetic and beautiful that this no-hitter ended with a routine fly ball to a center fielder in Johan Rojas that like, you can have Victorino and Rowand and whoever I think he's the best defensive Philly center fielder I have ever seen. 
and he puts out nine balls for Lorenzen. He was everywhere. He was awesome. He's an amazing player to watch play the field. So I, I'm thrilled. Get Oduble Herrera out of here. Everyone, I, I know Jack Fritz is into the, you know, Phil's needed a cycle to get David Bell off of the, the ticker when they show the last cycle. That's the way I felt about Oduble and closing out Hamill's no-hitter. I, I'm done with it. It irritated me. So I'm thrilled that we can move on there. All right. It's on the clock. I want to get to just a bunch of thoughts. Some positive notes, some negative notes, both from the week and just some some thoughts going forward because it was an action-packed week with some transactions and with a lot of stuff going on. I want to start, and and this will be somewhat rapid-fire. I don't have hours to speak about this, unfortunately. I think Thursday's the lineup is the one. The lineup they ran out there. Now, with a substitution or two, which I'll note, but you have Kyle Schwarber leading off. Everybody hates it. I know. It's going to happen, and I'm fine with it. He gets on base. Now, I, actually, let me say this. That's another thing from this week. Walks matter. All this, I, I remember the Pittsburgh series. Kyle Schwarber got on like 10 or 11 times in a row, and everyone freaked out because he wasn't scoring. They called in, oh, you know, walks don't matter. He's not making anything happen. Part of that was, or most of it was, the guys hitting behind him weren't going deep. They weren't knocking runs in. Kyle Schwarber was getting on base now, and you have others also that are walking. And now that the ball is leaving the ballpark, suddenly those matter. So that's a big contribution from him and from others. That's like he gets on base. We've all seen Moneyball. He gets on base. So I'm fine with it. Not gonna not gonna stick on that for a while. Alec Bohm hitting second. Team's incredible with him hitting two. And he's hitting the crap out of the baseball. A power surge that we haven't seen from him yet in the big leagues, which is really encouraging. Go in the opposite field. You have Harper third, obviously. And he left Thursday's game with back spasms. I don't think it's that serious, but something to monitor. Castellanos hitting fourth. Goes deep again. He is... I, I have more on him later, actually. Bryson Stott fifth. Batting 300. Just an incredible season. Incredible hitter. Trey Turner, sixth. I think that works. Now, if Turner starts to go off, I'm fine moving him back to two, but this lineup is so long. The lineup is lengthened deeply with Turner hitting sixth if he's going, if you put Boehm up at two. You have JT after him, and if JT's going, you see this lineup suddenly go seven deep, and it's dangerous, as opposed to only relying on one player or two players to get it done. After Real Muto, Uh, Weston Wilson started today. That would be Brandon Marsh or Pache. And then Johan Rojas playing center and and hitting ninth, who, again, I love. But that's that's my lineup. That's a big positive from this week and going forward. A negative. I think when we get to the playoffs, this bullpen is going to be a serious issue. We're starting to see it slow down a little bit. Now, Now, this came up first when... Greg Kimbrell blows, or the game was tied, but he blew the second game of the doubleheader. And he's going to slow down throughout his entire career when it comes playoff time, or or recent career, I should say. When it comes playoff time, he starts to slow down. He's been awesome this year. But I don't want to rely on him to be a, a Jose Alvarado in the playoffs. Speaking of Alvarado, still coming back from injury, Dominguez has looked better, but he's not where last year's Dominguez was. It's a group that wasn't bolstered at the deadline, and I think that was a big mistake by Nebrowski. Now, Lorenzen could go to the bullpen come playoff time, 
and they could utilize the arms differently, like we saw with Eflin and with Ranger Suarez last year. But I think the bullpen, if anything, is going to bite this team when they get to the postseason, it's going to be the bullpen. You still have Jeff Hoffman, who I like, but he's not that good. He's still pitching high leverage innings. And Soto is super up and down. Like, it's a group that was unbelievable to start the year, and they have so many close wins, and it's been, uh, really, after the years of all the blown saves, it's been awesome to watch a good bullpen pitch. I don't know how much we can rely upon it, which goes back to how important that offense going off is and starting to really get going. Put games out of reach before you need Jeff Hoffman to get two outs with the bases loaded. So there's that. Another negative. I am out on Rodolfo Castro. I'm good. Whatever's going on there, I'm good. I don't need it. I think he's 0 for 10 now as a Philly with five or six strikeouts, some poor fielding, really poor fielding. Now, I know Sosa's banged up, and you need those utility infielders, but once Sosa's back, like Rodolfo Castro should not make this team's postseason roster. I don't want him up in a big spot. I don't want him in as a defensive replacement. I trust Alec Bowe more. I trust Sosa more. I'm good. Now, maybe he could be something in the future when he works with the the hitting coach or whatever, but just I I don't need any more Rodolfo Castro once this team gets fully healthy. He's like the he's the one guy on the team at this point, offensively, where I just I I don't need it. Take it away. I'm good. Now Bailey Falter did get rocked in his first start in Pittsburgh. I'm not gonna call it a terrible trade. Because Bailey Falter isn't good, but just I, no more regular at bats for Castro, please. Once this team gets fully healthy, and Rob Thompson not pinch hitting for him in that game this week, like I I just don't need him up in big spots. Speaking of uh, being good on something, I have been known as an Aaronola defender, and and this is not going to be what this is. However, he pretty good outing on Thursday, but it was really bad last Friday. People were coming after him, rightfully so. He gets a lead, and he squanders it, and he does not pitch well at all. I think, I, I, I do truly think Aaron is in trouble. Now, trouble's relative. By that, I mean, okay, I'd still probably have him starting game two of whatever series. And I pray that in August he can, he can turn it around and make that look smart and make that, make that be a clear decision. Lorenzen might even be jumping up to take that spot. But he, I, I mean... It's not good with Nola. And I take away the innings he gives and everything. He's just not fun to watch pitch. He is infuriating when he takes the mound at the moment. My big takeaway from his week, though, like, you don't need me to tell you Aaron Nola's bad stats. It's not good right now, especially for a guy of that caliber. Now, the, the five years, 110 thing that ESPN threw out there, 100%. Sign me up. I am all in. Easily. Are, are you kidding? Got a guy like Aaron Nola on that price. I don't care if he pitches to a 4-2. Like, keep him in the rotation there. But Taiwan Walker and Aaron Nola this year have very similar numbers. Yet if you hear people speak on the matter, you would think that Taiwan Walker's the best pitcher since Nolan Ryan and Aaron Nola stinks. Because Taiwan Walker leads baseball and wins. And this happened after Sunday's game, where he gives up three runs in the first, one in the second, Four total, and then he settles in, which was awesome. He goes six or seven, but he gets rocked early, and the Phillies win the game because the offense goes off. Now, Thursday was a good example. Had the Phillies not 
dropped a six-piece from the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, Aaron Nola was on the hook for the loss. He gives up one run through five-plus innings. Now, that isn't a great Aaron Nola start by any means, but the point here is I'm sick and tired of all this over-the-top Taiwan Walker praise because he gets wins. He gives up four runs through six. Aaron Nola gives up three runs through seven. Nola takes a loss because the offense doesn't hit. And Taiwan Walker picks up another win. Who would a better start? The answer is Aaron Nola. The pitcher does not have control as to whether the offense goes off or not. Now, uh, okay, is there something to be said about Walker keeping them in games? Yeah, he's done a good job. He's been a solid pitcher for them this year. But they have similar numbers, and they have similar starts often. Yet the discussion around it, everyone looks at Walker's wins. Be like, oh, that's the game two starter. It's like, no, the dude's been getting crushed recently. Absolutely crushed. So going forward, I I mean, I I pray Nola turns it around so this conversation goes away. But just, I'm out on Taiwan Walker starting game two talk. He's not the second best pitcher on this team. He's not. It's that simple. All right, I I, I have a couple um, neutral ones. and, And it kind of plays back into what we've talked about tonight so far. Brandon Marsh is out a few weeks. He got banged up, and they bring up that that's why Wes Wilson is with the team. He's contributed. But I, w- when Marsh goes down, it sucks to see. He's had an awesome year, and he's a big piece of this team. But uh, give me as much Johan Rojas as possible. I just more Johan Rojas. I don't like, he's not the best offensive player in the world, yet he is a spark plug. He brings energy. You, you see some bunting. Uh, in center field, he is just an absolute wizard. So I'm I, I'm encouraged at how the Phillies are set up to to withstand the Marsh injury. We'll say, and with Pache coming back too, this team is deep in the outfield, which is, which is great and defensively deep. Finally, and the last note I have, uh, actually Jody Mack was on the morning show and he said this. I think it's an awesome take. Castellanos this season is Reese Hoskins. We saw it this week. He, he can carry an offense. He's up to, to 20 bombs. He had five this week, hitting the crap out of the baseball. And when it's good, it's really good. It, it's awesome. Yet when it's bad with him, like with Hoskins, it can be really, really bad. I think that's an awesome take. He is for this team who Hoskins was to last year's team. Now, Hoskins is out there running around. Hoskins is throwing baseballs. I don't know. Some postseason pinch hitting appearances. We'll see. But I, that's what I have from the week. Just a lot of stuff flying around. And, uh, I mean, none more important than our discussion around Aaron Nola and Taiwan Walker. I, I'm not asking you give Nola all this respect because he hasn't pitched well. And expectations are different. That's what's so clear. Okay. Yeah. Taiwan Walker pitching to a 4-2 compared to Nola at a whatever he is. It's different because Nola's supposed to be better. I get it. But... When you break down who has been better recently and they both give up the same amount of runs, yet one picks up the win, that that doesn't matter. The win in that setting does not matter. It means the offense is exploding for Walker and sometimes disappears for Nola. So let's let's consider that going forward when we talk about the two. All right, it's on the clock. Ben Kenny hanging out with you. We'll come back. We'll look around baseball. Some massive shakeups in the wild card race that are of note. We'll touch on that next. We will look ahead to the twin series. All ahead. It's on the clock. All right. We're back on the clock. Phillies 24-7 Sports Radio WIP. 
Phillies seven and three in their last ten. They've won two straight. Four games up on the last wild card spot. They're a game and a half up on San Francisco, holding on to the first. I want to look around baseball though, because there's been since the deadline, since we spoke, seismic shakeups in the wild card race. Record since the All Star break. Listen to this. Now remember, like two weeks ago, when we spoke, okay, who are you buying? Who are you selling? I think I bought the Diamondbacks. I think I bought the Reds. I know I sold the Marlins. Well, two out of three of those, I look like an idiot. Because record since the All-Star break. Arizona Diamondbacks, 5-19. and 19. Miami Marlins, 7-17. and 17. And the Reds are 10-16. and 16. Now, they've all fallen because of that. Miami's in the last wildcard spot. But they've fallen from, I think, the first... The Reds are now half a game back of Miami. And Arizona's two and a half. Arizona's a game under 500. They've lost eight in a row. They, they have been playing horrid, horrid baseball. And things have changed where now it's the Phils in San Francisco firmly. And third's Miami again. Now the Chicago Cubs out of nowhere are a half game back of Miami. And you have San Diego who was making a charge. Now they've lost four straight. Fives are terrible there. But now it's become a... I mean, almost a three-horse race for the final spot with Arizona on the outside almost with Miami, the Cubs, and and Cincinnati, which is crazy. If you had told me a month and a half ago that the Cubs would be battling for a wild-card spot, I would have told you you're crazy. And they didn't sell at the deadline, which obviously Bellinger was a target we were thinking about for the Phillies. But uh, if we were wrong about the Diamondbacks and the Marlins and the Reds, and we'll take accountability on this show for all errors, all predictions that go wrong. We were dead on about the Angels. Since buying at the deadline, both the Giolito, they get Reynaldo Lopez, they get Grichik, they get Crone, they bolster the team. Otani's amazing. Well, they're 2-8 and eight since they did that. They're back to 7 out of the wildcard spot, and the playoff chances for them are getting bleaker by the day. And they're losing games in miraculous fashion. Like Mickey Moniak robbed a home run to keep a game tied the other night against San Francisco. Angels were up 3-2. to two. Well, uh, they came out in the ninth inning, gave up six runs. Lost, I think, 8-3. to three. Like they, They're not a good baseball team. They're never a good baseball team. That's like death taxes and the Mets collapsing in September. The Angels just being dysfunctional and terribly run. They should have sold. They should have traded Otani. Just just stupid. You also uh, look around baseball now. We're starting to see some big-time leaderboard gravity, as they say in golf, and as I brought up on this show. Where as time goes on, you see the cream really rise to the top, and the fake contenders start to fall off. Well, Baltimore, Texas, the Dodgers, Houston, four of the best teams in baseball, they're continuing to surge. I, I mentioned Chicago. Those are, I think, the five best teams since the trade deadline. And you're seeing those bad teams really start to fall off further. So it's going to be an interesting race. Some of it is more so position than who's going to make it and who's not. But again, with three wildcard spots, it, I mean, you look now and Boston is five games over. They're not a very good team. They're only four back. The Yankees, after all that's gone on, they're only five back. So it's possible. Like these runs are very possible with how it's situated. All right, some, I, I mean, one other big baseball note to hit this week. Uh, actually, two. I, I, I want to talk about the Orioles announcer in a second. But 
The fight between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson, I I guess our inaugural star of the week. No sounders for this. Just I, it, theater of imagination. Our, our star of the week is the umpire that was in the middle of them and in pure hockey referee official mode was like, you know what? I'm going to let these guys try to punch each other. And he gets out of the way. And Jose Ramirez hits Tim Anderson with the most clean left hook that I've ever seen on a baseball field. Knocks him down. Like, we never see those punches actually land. We just see fists fly everywhere. And he knocks him down. And I think Tim Anderson, since then, has only struck out when he's come to plate. Now, I mean, Manfred, who, like, this goes viral. And it's a great moment for baseball because everybody's talking about it. Manfred goes up and, oh, uh, Tim Anderson, six game suspension. Ramirez, three. We'll give a bunch of other guys one, including the the Guardians manager, Terry Francona. Whatever. I, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't give him more. But even so, I mean, you share the clip 50 million different ways on social media and then turn around and suspend the guys. Just a, a, not a great look there. From, from Major League Baseball. But that was awesome this week. In in not awesome news, our our dumbass of the week is the Orioles management, general, upper management. They suspended, if you missed the story, they suspend their play-by-play guy, Kevin Brown, for literally reading game notes. He was reading how poor the Orioles had played in Tampa over the last couple years. They like the Orioles are three and two there this year. And he said they're 3-18 and 18 there in the last three, four years combined, which is a fact. That is objective. Like, like it's true. You, you can't argue it. And yet they turn around and they think he's trying to throw dirt on the organization. Apparently, they are uh, unhappy when announcers mention previous Orioles teams. I. It's just so weird. It's so weird. Now, the fan base is pissed off. They're chanting, free Kevin Brown. It's like that That park is finally full. You get Sunday Night Baseball for the first time in a decade there. The team is the best team record-wise, I think, in baseball. And ownership is going out of their way to create to, to ruin all the good grace they've built. It's unbelievable. And it makes you sit back and, again, really be happy for the, the play-by-play group, radio and television we have here in Philadelphia. And just how the Phillies are run. I can't help look at all these dumpster fires, whether it's the Orioles or the White Sox, too. Dumpster fire of the week. You have a a reliever saying there are no rules within the White Sox. Guys are sleeping in the bullpen. Uh, Lance Lynn confirmed this as well. It's like I I look at that happen. I look at the Orioles situation happen. And I can't help but think and be very grateful for how the Phillies are ran, how the operation goes, both radio, television, television. At the ballpark is an amazing experience. Like we're very lucky here. The the owner spends a lot of money. He's trying to keep the team always relevant. We are very very lucky that we have this baseball team in our town. Even though they go through rough patches with maybe some bad management, like that sports, you're gonna get it. But it's not a rotten organization like the White Sox are undoubtedly. Apparently, like the Orioles are. We we learned both of those this week. All right. It's on the clock. We'll come back. We will close it out. Look ahead to the Twin Series coming up and what the Phillies have in the next week. All right. Welcome back. On the clock. Closing it out. 
sending you into the weekend an awesome, a memorable week of Phillies baseball. Hopefully they continue that. The homestand will close this weekend when the Twins come to town. 60-57, and 57, the Twins are, leading the AL Central, which is a god-awful division. The, the Guardians are three and a half back of them. And then Detroit, Chicago, Kansas City are just terrible. So the Twins are gifted with that division. They're an okay team. Now, uh, some of the pitching matchups this weekend are, are frankly hilarious. It starts on Friday. The Twins signed Dallas Keuchel a couple weeks ago. The, the former Cy Young winner, the former Astro, who then went to Chicago and, and stunk, who I, I don't know if he's pitched. Oh, he has. He was on Texas and Arizona last year and had an ERA of a million. Chicago, the previous year, or, or as well, an ERA of a million, has not been an effective pitcher really since 2018. He was amazing in 2017. He Cy Young in 2015, but... I mean, not an effective pitcher, really, anymore. Now, he's made one start. He, he went, I think, five innings, gave up one run. So a solid start to his career. But, I mean, the Phillies should continue to capitalize on good pitching matchups on Friday when the Twins come to town. Don't know the Phillies starter yet. We then have Pablo Lopez, who is really solid, pitching on Saturday for the Twins, 3-8-1. He's 7-6. and six. And then he will go into... Sonny Gray, another familiar name, old face. He goes Sunday. He's 5-5 five and five with a 3-1-8. I mean, you speak of momentum and how to carry it. Listen, I'm looking at the pitching staff. I'm looking at the bullpen this weekend to maybe improve upon what's been a shaky couple weeks. But, I mean, this is just ripe for a continued offensive explosion. You get a Friday night game, a Saturday night game, and then a classic Sunday game where the park is going to be packed. People are through the roof excited after what they've seen this week. It's time to capitalize on that. Like We spoke about August, how many home games they have and how everything lines up well. Like This is that stretch, and it's time to capitalize that and create separation, put a lot of distance between them and both the chance of missing the playoffs, but also getting that first series at home. So uh, it should be a good series with the Twins coming to town. It's then uh, a couple off days. They're off on Monday. They are off on Thursday. And they go to Toronto for a two-game set Tuesday and Wednesday. So after this this stretch of a lot of games in a row, two off days coming up, which will help. Now, we've seen Topper a lot tinker with the lineup. We've seen off days for Stott, off days for Boehm, which I don't like, but I'm not overly against. That's one of the situations where I will trust his managerial prowess at getting the guys fresh. And listen, they still win a bunch of those games. So hopefully those, those off days help the team as well. All right, uh, it's on the clock. Appreciate you spending your Friday with us. A quick programming note next week. Episode will drop on Friday. I think I'll be recording it a little earlier in the week. Have a mini vacation planned. Going up to play golf and hang out in Vermont for a couple days. So we will speak mostly about the Twin Series and maybe some larger picture baseball things. No no in-depth breakdown of the Blue Jays series coming next week. But stay tuned for that. Everybody enjoy the weekend. Hopefully a great weekend of Phillies baseball. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.